Greetings and welcome to Mind Matters News. In the fall of 2022, the country of Haiti was facing a fuel and energy crisis, and in the intervening months, the situation has unfortunately not improved. Much of the country faces rising food insecurity, and estimates from the United Nations report that more than 2,000 people have been killed by gang violence and criminal groups in the first half of 2023 alone. Longtime listeners of the podcast may remember one of our first ever guests, Professor Brian Thomas. Professor Thomas is an expert in appropriate technology with a history of service work in Haiti. This week, we revisit our conversation with Professor Thomas and Kayla Garrett of Just Energy, discussing the situation in Haiti and their efforts to help the Haitian people. Greetings. Welcome to Mind Matters News. I'm your appropriate technical host, Robert J. Marks. You know, not all countries need the latest technologies. Those in third world countries don't need high power computers or the latest car from Tesla. They have more fundamental concerns like, how do I feed my family tomorrow? Where do I get clean water? And where can I get energy? Where can I get power? Uh, These needs typically do not involve the latest edge cutting technology. This effort of supplying needed technology is referred to as appropriate technology. It's technology needed by the poor and the marginalized. Appropriate technology is what today's guests do. They are with an organization called Just Energy. It's a small nonprofit that works in northern Haiti doing solar energy systems for hospitals and clinics and schools and orphanages, some really important work. I'm a big fan of Just Energy. This podcast is associated with the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence. The Bradley Center has financially supported the work of Brian and Haiti previously. And I tell you, this is a, this is a, hard, um, this is a hard case to make for me. I'm not a big fan of most most charities and rarely make contributions to them because many are actually bloated. Um, an example is salary of some of the CEOs. United Way makes $1.5 million annually, a guy named Brian Gallagher. That's pretty good for United Way. And when you contribute to United Way, you're contributing to his $1.5 million salary. I like charities that really are charities and their heart is in it. An example is Just Energy. Another one is the Salvation Army, by the way, which is a a Christian-based organization where their CEO makes a good penny. They make a little over $200,000 a year, but still, compared to the order of magnitude salary increase of some of these other larger charities, eh, that's not very much. I can vouch that no one in Just Energy is getting rich. They do things out of love and compassion on a shoestring budget, and among other things, they have volunteer engineering students travel to third world countries like Haiti to assist in the development of appropriate technology. And they don't pay for the travel. The students typically raise their own support. I'm an engineer. Those at Just Energy are engineers. Engineers are said to love things that don't love back. The people at Just Energy are engineers that do love back through applying appropriate technology to poor countries. Representing Just Energy today is Kayla Garrett and Brian Thomas. Brian is an electrical engineer, and Kayla is an environmental engineer. Uh, Kayla, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you. Great. Uh, You know, your work has focused primarily on Haiti. 
in the United States, we hear about the Ukraine, we hear about Russia, we hear about China. We don't hear much about Haiti. Uh, tell us more about Haiti and some of the work that you do there. Yeah, so Haiti in the areas that we work um, around Cap Haitian, it's really only an hour long flight from Florida. Um, so it's kind of shocking that we don't hear more about the ongoings in this in this country. So our nonprofit, as you said, is we're fairly small, but we work in northern regions of Haiti doing solar energy installations at civil work societies like hospitals, clinics, schools, orphanages. Um, and this is done in a place where people on average are living on less than a dollar a day in many cases. And Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. So this work is crucial to the livelihood and flourishing of, of many people. Our team in the U.S., as you said, we're all volunteers. Uh, we all have our own day jobs and gigs that we're doing. But we also have uh, or partner with a team of Haitians in country on the ground that are part-time employees um, that do a large part of the heavy lifting in, this, in these operations. And together with that team is, is where we're designing, installing, and maintaining these solar energy systems, with our main mission being to create jobs and increase energy access. That's great. You know, Brian, you, you, you turned me on to a, um, a documentary about how many charities hurt the countries that they're trying to help. Do you remember the name of that? Mm, I think that was Poverty, Inc., Poverty Inc. and it was astonishing. A lot of a lot of organizations go into these third world countries and they they hope to help, but they actually end up hurting the countries. I, I found this that documentary very um, very astonishing. Yeah, we find it very sobering. Very sobering. Yeah, it's very sad. We don't want to end up in somebody else's documentary about how to do it wrong. <laughs> You want to stay out of the documentaries. I can see that. Uh, but one of the things that you do is you work together with the Haitians. You don't go in with this air of superiority. You work with them. And some of the businesses that you start and some of the enterprises that you start, you turn over to the nationals. One of the things that I remember uh, talking to you about is work you did in Haiti. Now, this was a while back where you went around to individuals and set up solar panels so that people could come and recharge their cell phones. And you turn that over to the nationals. That's right. We wanted to create little family businesses. Um, and so, yes, those, those are indeed those little, those little cell phone charging businesses based on, you know, a single solar panel. And, uh, and you're right. We, we want to work ourselves out of a job. We don't want to be in the business of making sure things stay up and running or replacing parts when they need to be replaced. One of the things we've done more recently uh, with larger systems is, you know, we, we do recognize that they're going to need maintenance. And so what we've done is establish a team of Haitians to provide that maintenance and they, they get jobs out of that. So again, we are trying to get ourselves out of the work by enabling and empowering, you know, the, the Haitians to take care of each other. That's wonderful. So you talked about energy. Where where do the Haitians currently get their energies, that like electricity, for example? Uh, typically, most of this electricity is from privately owned gasoline or diesel generators, which is which is like distributed across private poles and wires. And typically, under even under normal conditions, which are not happening right now, but under, under normal conditions, 
only about 20 to 40 percent of the population of Haiti has access to a major electricity grid. But of that group that has access, nobody has access 24-7. And so mostly it's it's privately owned household or business owned generators. But that's problematic in a lot of ways in that Haiti does not have any petroleum reserves of its own that all has to be imported. So let me get this right. They're, they're individually owned and they are generating electricity and do they make it available to their to their neighbors? Is that what you mean by a microgrid? Well, sometimes they do. Um, it kind of depends on the owner. You know, there's, let's say, a bank or a business, they'll run their own generator. They're not going to share. But um, if it's a maybe an orphanage or a school, they'll have their own generator. And, and when they fire it up, maybe they have a uh, some some outlets that are made available for public use. Mm-hmm. And so people can hear the generator roaring. And so they come walking over to the orphanage or school or hospital and they plug in their cell phone to recharge it or they plug in a rechargeable light that they can then take back home. I see. You mentioned most of these are generators which are run by petroleum products. You shared with me the history of fuel shortages that occurred in Haiti. Could you could you walk through that? I, I found this very sobering. Yeah, there's there's been a his, there there's a history of fuel shortages in Haiti. Uh, I've been there a few times when there's a, a fuel shortage. So let me let me tell you what it looks like to buy gasoline or diesel in Haiti. Um, there are there are gas stations, you know, just like we have gas stations, but those are they're subsidized, and so the price of gasoline is kind of locked. And it, it turns out, at least in today's conversion rates, it's about two dollars and fifteen cents a gallon, which sounds like a pretty good deal. And the, you know, the government subsidizes that price for the for the poor people to be able to afford it. But uh, the the lines get pretty long, and sometimes uh, they run out altogether. When the when there when there's long lines, sometimes people have to wait all day long in order to fill up their car or their taxi, or even just a couple of plastic jugs that they use for uh, storing gasoline. In fact, a lot of a lot of individuals they they buy uh, cooking oil in these one gallon jugs, and after the cooking oil has been used, they use that plastic jug to store gasoline in their homes, which is a bit of a fire hazard. And I, I can tell you stories about that. But you know, there's even violence uh, if you you know the closer you get in get to the pumps in these long lines, you know, the, the more people want to cut in line and push ahead and, and, uh, they're, you know, people that they turn out, they get, get in fights and, you know, it's, it's ugly, but really even more pressing than that is they run out They get these subsidized gas stations run out of fuel. And then the, the, the gasoline has to be sold on the black market in a, and what, by what we call street sellers, what they call street sellers it is definitely illegal. And there are definitely people profiting off of it. So some some individuals are buying large quantities of gasoline from either from the subsidized gas stations or they're going over into the Dominican Republic and getting it, or uh, it's being captured by gangs. And then the these the fuel is then resold, uh, like at a gallon at a time, uh, by these street sellers. And the street sellers, you'll see them on the corner. You can ride your ride your motorcycle up there, and they'll just uh, you don't even have to get off the motorcycle. They'll just pour it right in the tank for you, and you pay them in cash. 
Now the the police will chase them off um, if they see them, uh, but they'll they'll always come back because the you know the retail gas stations, the retail fillings uh, filling stations, uh, they run out. And so what are we going to do? We don't have any. So sometimes during these shortages, you know the the price gets really high. The longer the retail gas stations have been out, the higher the price gets. Um, recently, we saw, saw prices as high as $25 a gallon. $25? Wow, that's that's worse than the United States. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you think about that, too, and the fact that these people make a lot less money, that's, you know. You have to work a month at a dollar a day. You have to work a month for a gallon of gas, roughly. Yeah, it's. On top of trying to supply every other basic needs of your family. Yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's 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 rough. Okay. So one of one of the results of this sort of thing that that they that the businesses shut down, the banks shut down, they don't have any electricity. And even scarier, the the hospitals shut down. In fact, this happened last fall, fall of uh, 2021, and there was a shortage. Much like there's there's another one going on in fall of 2022. And uh, there's a good friend of ours. In fact, he's uh, he's the general manager of our operations there. His wife was expecting a baby, and she had a bit of a rough pregnancy, and they had decided that she needed to have a C-section. And they had the C-section scheduled, but uh, what they didn't schedule was the fuel shortage. And the, the fuel shortage came, and the hospital ran out of gasoline, ran out of diesel, and they had no electricity. So... When they went for uh, their checkup, maybe a, um, about a month before the C-section, they were told that they were going to need to bring their own gasoline to run the generators in the operating room. You're kidding. So not only do you have to rush your wife to the hospital, you got to bring your own gasoline. That's right. Bring your own gasoline if you can get it. And store it in your house with your pregnant wife. That's terrible. Exactly. Okay. So so let, let, let's stop and think. What does that do? If, if gasoline is 25 $25 a gallon. Well, and even if it's not, even if it's $10 a gallon and you make very little money or you have, you don't have a job at all, then gasoline is, what is that? That's, it's like cash. You can sell that. You can turn around and sell that. So ga- gasoline is like money. Gotcha. So what happened in December, 2021 is that a uh, tanker truck was coming in to fill up some of the gas stations there. Uh, this is after the after the gas shortage that I mentioned in the fall. It, it, it had ended by that time. But this this gas truck, the gasoline tanker truck, uh, overturned. And it was laying on its side and it was leaking gasoline. And people were so desperate that they ran out with every little container they could find. This was, this was in a neighborhood, by the way, uh, not, a, uh, not an industrial area. And they started scooping up all the gasoline they could. It was spilling into the ditches. You know, people were, were scooping it up because it's free money. Well, they, they they had to have a lot of mud and dirt in the gasoline they scooped up probably. Wouldn't yeah, be very high quality, would it? No, I'm sure it wasn't very high quality. Um, but I guess more more importantly, after a while, the, the, the puddle of gasoline spread to a trash fire that had been smoldering off in the on the edges and oh um, and the, then the whole thing blew up and um, over, over 90 people were killed and, you know, burned to death. And it was, it's really quite horrific. I, I was there at the time. Um, we were working at a hospital on a solar project 
and uh, heard the news. And in fact, a lot of the burn victims were taken to the hospital where we were working and uh, they were bringing people out on in body bags as we were there. It was, it was uh, traumatic. There's a, there's a saying in Haitian Creole. It's, it's a greeting. And uh, it goes like this. One person says, Sac passe. And the other person says, Naboule. Yeah, Naboule. And that means the, the question is, what's happening? Or what, you know, kind of like que pasa in Spanish. What's happening? And the, and the answer is, Naboule means we're burning <laughs> or we're blazing or we're, you know, we're burning up. And there's sort of a, an ironic sarcasm in that. It, it means, in one hand, hey, I'm all right. I'm doing okay. I'm I'm, I'm I'm making it. I'm making it by. Yeah, I'm getting by. On the other hand, it means it, there's also a recognition of how hard life is in Haiti, and it's saying, yeah, we're well, basically, we're on fire, but we're we're doing what we anyway. So in that that day, it was literal, and you know, it really affected me. It really kind of broke my heart. So one of the things that you are doing is you're, in, you're, you're installing solar panels. We'll talk more about this in a little bit, but are, are you making a little uh, glitch in the use of fossil fuels to power these generators? I think we are. And we're, we're, we're reducing the, the usage and we're sometimes making electricity available when it otherwise would not be, when there otherwise would be no electricity, zero, just wow. because at $25 a gallon, you just can't afford to turn it, turn on the generator. And the state-owned grid is not accessible or operational. Yeah, that's a good point, Kayla. Um, in the United States, we think about, you know, we get our power from the grid and it comes from some magical place uh, <laughs> off on the horizon. Um, but th- there is no functional grid in Haiti. Or if it is, as, as if Kayla mentioned, or what Kayla mentioned earlier, you know, maybe 20% of the people and that's largely in the capital city of Port-au-Prince, um, have access to power. Nobody gets it 24-7. And places out like the suburbs of Cap Haitian, there's, there is no grid. There is no grid. Wow. Okay, so the, the fall of 2021 is when you had to take your own gasoline to the hospital in order to, have, in order to deliver a baby. Uh, there was also a... a fuel shortage in the fall of 2022, just recently, right? What was going on there? That's right. In fact, uh, that's going on right now. And what's going on is that there are some heavily armed gangs. Um, and there's a one particular gang led by a fellow who goes by the nickname Barbecue. And he has taken control of the two ports where fuel is imported into Port-au-Prince, the capital city. So crime is, wow, that means there's lots of crime there. He's essentially kidnapped, you know, the fuel. He's taking it, he's holding it hostage. He's not allowing it to flow out into the rest of the country. Doesn't the government push back on this at all? There would probably be if there was much of a government standing at the moment, um, Last summer, the president of Haiti was assassinated, and uh, currently, the previous prime minister is the acting president. And there's there's very little political stability in an already tumultuous situation. Wow! Yeah, in fact, just just yesterday, Bob, the um, prime minister asked for asked the international community for armed intervention, armed help. He invited them in. 
Who who did they ask? Did they ask like the United States or uh, uh, I believe else? it was the I'm I'm not sure. I, I, the 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 newspaper that I the newspaper story I read just said it was the invited the international community. I think it was a maybe a global announcement, but presumably it would be the United Nations or the Organization of American States, uh, perhaps the United States. I I don't know. I can I can't see that happening. But um, well, we certainly send a lot of money to Ukraine for military reasons. It seems that. Uh, we could help out, uh, uh, help out in Haiti also. Unfortunately, anytime the United States gives money, it, it arrives in leaky buckets uh, and it doesn't get to where it's supposed to go many times. Yeah, there's not an infrastructure to receive it properly either. It's, it's, it's scary because then it just goes to empower the people who are causing the trouble. You know, another complicator too is cholera. They uh, have in the last week had outbreaks of cholera which hasn't happened in years. Yeah, it, it, it's, it hasn't because they've had clean water, but because of the lack of fuel, they can't operate water purification facilities and uh, cholera is a waterborne disease. And so it's starting to spread. And now you add that, add that to the fact that the hospitals don't have electricity to treat those people. And we're looking at, you know, a pending humanitarian crisis, in my opinion. Oh, my goodness. So what are the hospitals doing? Are they are they still trying to operate without power? Are they closing down? What are they doing? Some of them are. Uh, some of them are, are trying to operate. Some of them are operating on limited hours. Um, some of them uh, have solar <laughs> solar energy systems that, that we've put in, and they're actually able put to in. do it. They're actually operational. Just this week, we received a, a message from one of the clinics that we had worked on last year, got this new solar system put in for them. Um, this is from a little, uh, I'd say a medium-sized clinic. That out, and this is outside the town of Cap Haitian, or the, the city of Cap Haitian, just in a little town outside of it. And uh, the doctor says in, in his note, he says, this is to tell you how the solar system really helped at this difficult time. While the other medical centers are obliged to close or work limited hours, we are able to function as we used to, saving people with asthma and those in need of oxygen by using electric oxygen concentrators. Our clinic performed 41 C-sections last month, partly because no one could get to cap patients. Yeah, there's no fuel for transportation, so they couldn't get into the cities. He says none of this would be possible without the solar system. Boy, that's wonderful. That that must give give you a warm feeling that you were a part of supplying that. Yeah, it's it's rewarding to be part of that. Congratulations. That's um, that, that's really a blessing that you've given them. So let, let's ask right now, um, where are you at? What do you need? Uh, Just Energy is a nonprofit organization, but most of your people, as, as, um, as Kayla said, are volunteers, and you need money to hit the ground and to do things. Um, so tell me, what are your needs right now? Well, right now, I'd say that our biggest need is donations, um, money for propane generators to send in a, an instance of relief uh, for just providing electricity right now in a form that can be used. Um, just, just to give an example, how much would a propane generator cost? I'm sure they change depending how big it is, but uh, kind of a ballpark. Surely, yeah. We're looking at a uh, kind of a smaller one. Um, we think about a $3,000 cost, buys the generator, converts it from running on gasoline to be able to run on propane. 
and then helps with the transportation costs of getting it there. We're partnering with uh, another NGO called Archangel Airborne, which is kind of private plane is going to be taking in some things for us and for some other groups. Now, um, tell us how to financially contribute to Just Energy. And if you can't contribute specifically besides prayers, what what can you do? Yeah. So we do have a website, um, justiceandmercy.energy. And that's where you can find more information about the work that we're doing, as well as make a secure donation through PayPal. Um, Those donations can go towards paying for these propane generators, or in many instances, it it pays the paychecks of of our guys in Haiti doing maintenance and installations of all these projects and keeping the systems up and running um, that we can give them equitable pay for for the service that they're doing. So justiceandmercy.energy is a great place to do that. Justice and mercy. And all three words are spelled out without spaces. Justice and mercy. Dot energy. Not dot com, but dot energy. That's, yep. that's kind of cool. And uh, is, is there a way that if somebody wants to mail you a check, like um, I'm not a big user of PayPal. I'm a, I'm a Venmo guy, or I like to send checks through my bank. Is there, is there a way that you can send an address where you can send the uh, send checks? A good, a good address would be one bear place, number one bear place, like the animal. And then that's PO box six triple zero three. Okay. And that's in, that sounds like Waco, right? Yes. That's Waco, Texas. Seven, six, seven, nine, eight. So let me repeat it. Number one bear place. Post office box six zero 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 three in Waco, Texas, seven, six, seven. What was the last two digits? Nine, eight. Nine, eight. If you didn't get that and you're listening and you're interested, we'll put this uh, in the podcast notes. So that is really great. Guys, what you're doing is incredible. And you're doing it on a shoestring. You're doing it out of love. And um, I, I don't know, you're, you're astonishing. So God bless you. For uh, doing thank you. Hey, doing. Bob, we do have a Venmo too. You do have a Venmo. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the address is. <laughs> It's the Creole word for just energy. <laughs> it's the what word for it's just the, energy? It's the Haitian Creole spelling of just energy. It's G's energy. J-I-Z-E-N-E-J-I. Okay, we'll put that in the podcast notes also. So, One of the things that you're concentrated on as engineers is to increase the energy access to Haitians. So what's the technology that you use to increase the energy access? You know, Haiti doesn't have any petroleum, any oil, gasoline, diesel. Doesn't have any uh, resources like that of its own or even coal. Uh, So they have to import all that. And that's, that's part of the problem. But what, one resource that they do have in abundance is solar energy. Um, all you have to do is go for a visit to be convinced that the sun is a little brighter down there. It's oh, it's hot. pretty It's pretty close to the equator, isn't it? Well, it's, it's closer than we are. It's at about 19 degrees latitude. Okay, good. But trust me, it's hot. Um, and it, that sun is intense. And it, well, that's great. It's great for generating electricity with uh, solar photovoltaics. There's, you know, different kinds of solar energy. There's solar thermal that we use the sun's heat to make something hot and then generate steam and turn a turbine. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about direct conversion to electricity with your standard solar panels. 
Okay. So uh, that, you know, during the day we can generate electricity for users. Um, and we also store, we, we, we make more than we use during the day so we can store it in, in a battery bank. And so the systems we're putting in are, are off grid. There is no grid connection. Uh, so they need some kind of way to store energy for the evening. And traditionally, this has been done with um, lead-acid batteries. Lead-acid batteries are an old technology. It's the kind of battery similar to an automotive battery. And that they require a lot of maintenance. They don't last very long. And there, there are some better technologies out there. And what we have started using, and this is a little bit unusual in the international development world, I think, is the use of lithium ferrophosphate batteries, which are abbreviated LFP. And this is a type of lithium battery chemistry that is very durable. It can, it can be abused. Uh, it can be, you can leave the batteries in a mostly discharged state without damaging them, which is not true of lead acid batteries. You can mix old and new batteries together because they have built-in electronic battery management systems. That's also not true of older lead acid chemistry batteries. You mix old ones and new ones, then they'll charge and discharge at different rates, and it causes all kinds of problems. Oh, so um, that's the energy capture and the energy storage, and then we use inverters to convert that DC electricity into an AC electricity that can be used by most appliances. As Brian had said, the conditions in Haiti can be pretty intense um, with heat, but also with storms, um, just general ruggedness. And we find that these LFP batteries are robust enough to handle the less than test conditions that are mm. in the country. Okay. It's a rugged place and it's a pretty rugged battery chemistry. So as an electrical engineer, I want to know what are some of the, maybe one of the biggest solar systems that you have installed? Uh, our, our biggest project was for a hospital, a large public hospital called Justinian University Hospital specifically for the pediatric wing of that hospital. And that's a large, it's a large public hospital in downtown Capation. And we put uh, a system together there that was sponsored by USAID. And that was actually, uh, it was through a cooperative agreement with another NGO called Combit Sante. NGO stands for non, non-government organization? Yes, NGO stands for uh, non-government organizations kind of like a synonymous with nonprofit but in a more international sense. Yeah. I see. Okay. And with this other this other NGO, uh, we kind of partnered with them. We were a, a bit of a subcontractor for them uh, to uh, work with USAID to uh, do this project. It was um I think our our budget was around $150,000. Um and so that's a 34 kilowatt solar array. It's about 150 solar panels that um, had, they had been put in on an earlier project and we rewired them to be a battery operating system uh, and an inverter system that was capable of producing three-phase output power at about 21 kilowatts. And the system's working well and we can we can even monitor it with uh, our uh, the inverters we use have this SCADA capability. SCADA stands for supervisory control and data acquisition. So in other words, these the, the electronics are connected to the internet and we can monitor them from here. So uh, we get up and have a cup of coffee and check, check the solar panels down in Haiti and see if they're producing the energy that we expect them to. 
Well, that is when the internet works. Uh, <laughs> when the internet works. Okay. So I'm a consumer in Haiti. Is the solar power cheaper uh, from the solar or is it uh, cheaper from the grid? <laughs> well, um, there's not really a grid in Haiti. Um, so it's kind of a, kind of a no sum question, but uh, yeah, there's virtually no operational grid in Haiti. The state controlled electricity company is called EDH. Um, and we've, we've had people refer to the way this group operates as EDH is selling blackouts. What? They're selling blackouts. <laughs> yep. Yep. So even under, under normal conditions, um, you know, right now there's a, a fuel shortage, political unrest. This is not considered standard uh, conditions, but even under standard conditions, only about 30% of the entire country has physical connection or access to the electricity grid. That is from that state controlled um, electricity company. So only 30% can even access it. But of that 30%, no single person has access 24 seven. Um, there is not electricity at any given point 24 seven. That's incredible. You did mention that Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and it sounds like they are really, really poor and in need of just fundamental infrastructure. My goodness. So in installing these, um, I'm sure you probably concentrate on places like orphanages and hospitals and other places of humanitarian help. Um, So how are the hospitals doing where your group has installed the solar power? Uh, they are operational, which is a massive blessing. Uh, we have received some messages from the doctors there about their systems working, um, even in this time of, of a little bit more crisis. One of the medium-sized clinics that's in, in a town outside of Capation, which is the larger urban area, uh, sent us a message not long ago to let us know that the system is really helping during this time and that Currently, most medical centers are having to close uh, or work really limited hours, but they are still able to function just as they used to. And they're treating people with asthma, those in need of oxygen from electric oxygen convert uh, concentrators and converters. And he even said that their clinic was able to perform 41 C-sections last month, um, where most people were not able to travel to Capation. Um, to receive that medical care in this time and that this would not have been possible without the solar system. And he says, quote, that it is a clear example of how a strategic decision can make a big difference and help many. That's uh, that's wonderful. In installing these solar systems, uh, do you, I think you've done it yourself, but I, do you also employ the local nationals to do that? Uh, how, how difficult is it to install a solar array? Well, we've developed a, a really good team down there. It's, it's a small team, maybe five guys. Uh, and we have a general manager. We have an electrician, a welder, and a general purpose guy or two. And the, you know, depending on the size, they can, they can do it in a week, uh, maybe two weeks. The large system I mentioned that was sponsored by USAID, you know, I, I thought, man, how, this is going to take us a long time. But our electrician is uh, well-respected in the community, and he reached out to his colleagues and uh, hired five or six other guys that came and showed up and worked under his direction. 
So um, it, it really doesn't take that long. In fact, it's much more difficult to get all the supplies to the location where the installation is going to happen. That's that that part may take months. Interesting. And with the installation itself, uh, it does go faster. Yeah, it's interesting. Most engineers at the undergraduate and the graduate level are kind of interested in going out and making their mark in life. They're interested in going to Silicon Valley, coming up with an invention, going public with their IPOs, et cetera. Uh, that's not uh, the typical engineering path that you guys have followed. It, it, not doing that, how is it that you two have learned how to do relief and development? Where did you learn how to do this and what's your motivation? Hmm. Well, it, I think we said in earlier, or maybe we said in the prior podcast, uh, you know, that we volunteer our time. Uh, we have other, no, I think Kayla used the word, we have other gigs that pay the bills. I, I <laughs> okay. play the congas in a jazz band. <laughs> um, you know, Do you I, no, that, that was a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Daggone it. I thought you were like, it's, it's kind of a dream job of mine. I mean, I, I have this list of other careers I would have liked to have had astronomer, conga player. Conga player. You know, those are my top two. And, and the other thing is, is you guys have been presenting uh, papers at conferences too, haven't you? We have. We uh, just recently, the two of us presented a paper at the IEEE uh, Global Humanitarian Technology Conference, which was in Santa Clara this year. You know, but we, we together, we've got about 20 years of experience working in international projects, um, you know, on a, on a quasi part-time basis. I say quasi part-time because it, you know, it's hard. We don't work 40 hours a week on this, but we, we do work a lot on it. And, and, uh, and the motivation I think is very well interwoven into the jobs and careers that we have. There's a lot of alignment in those things. I know you also have to take time out to go to Haiti. It sounds like from what you described previously that Haiti's a pretty dangerous place to go right now. It's probably not a good idea to travel there now. Is that true? The U.S. State Department has them listed at uh, level four, do not go. <laughs> uh, that <laughs> what, is, what are uh, the levels? I'm not aware of that. Is is that yeah, the highest the, level? or? Yeah, it's the highest level. Oh my gosh, okay. So, you know, it's up there with... <laughs> Iran, <Yeah>. Syria. <laughs> really? Okay. Uh, yeah, and there's been a lot of kidnappings um, in the last last year. Even though that's not their biggest problem right now, uh, kidnapping for for ransom, both of international people and also locals, uh, including you know pastors and children's people off the street. We we know a guy. We know a guy, David. I won't use his last name, but uh, he's been stopped by gangs three times driving down to Port-au-Prince and held up and uh, robbed. One time he said that a couple of, there were some other people there that the, you know, the gang members shot dead right in front of him. Oh my gosh. So it's a dangerous place. Um, but we try to stay away from Port-au-Prince. In fact, I've only flown through Port-au-Prince. I've never been on the ground there. And we, we stay up in the Northern area, Cap Haitian, which has historically been much safer much safer. And, you know, we have, a, we, we talk to people. That's part of the, part of the answer of, of how we have learned how to, to do what we've learned to do. We're still not experts, but what we have learned, we've learned by talking to people. We've learned by building relationships with people on the ground, Haitian men and women, and, and trying to be a good listener. 
you know, and what are the, what are the problems they need? We don't we don't we don't want to solve problems that we perceive. We want to solve right. the problems that they perceive. And we were told that job creation and energy access are two very big and pressing needs. You know, we talked about different uh, charitable organizations and how many of them are bloated in terms of salaries of those that lead them. An exception was the Salvation Army, which is a Christian-based organization. They talk about salvation. What do they mean salvation? They mean salvation through Jesus Christ. They are a Christian organization. Would you characterize Just Energy as a Christian organization? The work that we do is motivated by our faith. Yeah. So we hold that people are made in the image of God and therefore have inherent worth and dignity. If these energy systems can help people to pursue education, improve their health, their general jobs and livelihood, increase their standard of living. And being able to do that is a way that we can help bring the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about into this world. And so largely our work is motivated by our faith and the value that we see in every human and the right to access of electricity, high standards of living um, is, is one of those human rights. Wow. Well, God bless you both. Uh, we've been talking to Brian Thomas and Kayla Garrett from Just Energy about their current work and appropriate technology in Haiti. If you are interested in supporting Justice and Mercy, there's a bunch of ways you can contribute. One is to go to uh, justiceandmercy.energy and spell out justice and mercy without any spaces, justiceandmercy.energy. And there you can you can pay through PayPal. They also have a Venmo account, which is a word I can't pronounce. So I, how do you pronounce it, Brian? Yeah, it's, it's G's Energy. G's, okay, I'll spell it out now. J-I-Z-E-N-E-J-I. That's right. J-I-Z-E-N-E-J-I, and it's not case sensitive. So if you're a Venmo person, that's a good way to contribute. Or if you want to do it the old way and write them a check, their place is Justice and Mercy, number one, Bear Place, Post Office Box, 6003, and that's in Waco, Texas, 76798. And I think I got all that right, didn't I? Yeah, that sounded right. Okay, well, great. Well, again, Brian and Kayla, what 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 a wonderful time chatting with you and finding out what you're doing at 80. And boy, we're we're very appreciative. This is Mind Matters News. Until next time, be of good cheer. This has been Mind Matters News with your host, Robert J. Marks. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute. 